Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the 13th episode of Did You Do Your Homework, the educational podcast that connects academic ideas to popular culture, assigns you homework, and makes it fun to do. My name is Martha Sullivan, and I am one of your phenomenal co-hosts for the evening, and I am joined tonight by... I'm Pete Romberg. I'm a curriculum developer and currently Twin Peaks Black Holy, I guess. Somebody who is deeply sucked into Twin Peaks. The Return. I was going to say, uh, old school or new stuff? New school. I kind of just binged the last eight episodes over the weekend. I need to watch the first season or iteration of it. And who are you, mysterious third voice? <laughs> <laughs> Kaylee Scowen, the dis- disembodied voice host. <laughs> I I think being on a podcast means we're all disembodied voices for the next hour or so. Um, <laughs> I assume there were holograms just... of our bodies being shown to our listeners. Yes. Am I am I wrong about this? Hmm. God, that'd be so cool. Although that would severely limit my abilities to listen to podcasts on my uh, morning commute. So, you know, maybe it's for the best. (laughs) Uh, Tonight we are going to be getting into fandom, fandom portrayals in media, how media treats fandom, all of that good stuff. But first, it's time for a little show and tell as we tell you all the last piece of pop culture or media that we engaged in, and no self-editing based on quality or guilty pleasure status. Pete, you want to start us off? Yeah, I'm going to cheat a little bit and go with two because they're both like three-minute YouTube videos. Um, you are so bad at this. I know, I cheat every <laughs> week, I think. Um, the first, related to Twin Peaks, is that a um, an interview with Angelo Badalamenti, who did the soundtrack for Twin Peaks, recently resurfaced, where he is describing how he wrote uh, Laura Palmer's theme for the show. That's one of the uh, especially iconic songs from the original Twin Peaks. It's fully delightful because it's him sitting down at his piano where he actually wrote it on, describing the story about how um, David Lynch sat down next to him with, and they put a little recorder on the piano and David Lynch was basically like, okay, Angelo, we're, we're in the dark woods now and, and there are some sycamore trees and you can hear the wind in the trees and there's the hoot of an owl uh, and, and just play that for me. Play that, play that scene for me. And so he just sort of starts making some music and David Lynch's like, yes, yes, that's exactly what I'm going for. Um, and then it builds. It's a three-minute video that's a delightful example of when two very creative people get on exactly the same wavelength and are able to interpret each other's ideas, which is going to connect really well with uh, one of our homeworks for this week, which was Fangirl. Um, the other uh, much quicker video that I, I watched was um, somebody took some Alex Jones rants and made it sound like a Bon Iver song, and it's just delightful because Alex Jones is a literal crazy person, and when you make him... M- sound more like he's singing a Bon Iver song. It's kind of just a glorious melding of weird worlds. So uh, two YouTube videos for you to take a look at. Awesome. Kaylee, tell us about your credential for this week. So my, my kind of feel like cheating as well. I just started reading Mouse Guard Legends of the Guard by David Peterson, but I just started it. So the last media that I consumed in its entirety was the Goofy movie. (laughs) (laughs) A gorsh. Yeah, I I haven't watched that in... 20 years. More than some. (laughs) (laughs) I woke up with eye to eye stuck in my head, and I'm like, oh, I need to watch the Goofy movie now, don't I? So I went on Amazon and was like, hook me up, man, and... I came home from work and there was a DVD waiting for me. Yeah, all I remember from that movie is turning a fly fishing cast into a dance move. Yes. The perfect cast. Yes. Uh, my credential for this week is uh, I watched Bill, my husband, play several rounds of a new game called, well, I don't know if it's new, it was on sale, uh, called Serial Cleaner, where uh, you play a 
basically a fixer who goes to crime scenes and has to clean up blood and bodies and hide evidence while police are uh, scoping the scene. So, like, they have their flashlights, which have which cast areas of light that you have to avoid. Uh, Any time you move, you make sound waves that have an area of effect that you have to um, avoid hitting the cops with. So you you have certain percentages of the crime scene that you have to clean up before you can leave. Uh, it has a very it has a great soundtrack. Uh, it actually it looks visually. I haven't had a chance to look this up, so I don't know if the games are related. But it looks visually a lot like the uh, game called Monaco. Okay, where you uh, oh, you and yeah. friends can play as members of a team that's heisting. Uh, yeah, that are engaged in heists. So, like, if you think about the way that the guards and things move in that game, that's kind of what they look like in uh, Serial Cleaner. I was sort of, like, when you started talking about it, I'm like, like, Monaco just popped in my head, and I was like, it reminds me of that one game, and so I'm really glad to hear you say that. Yeah, that's why I wanted to look and see if they were by the same people or related in some way. Um, And they are? Because they are. What? I I don't know. I haven't looked it up yet. Got it. Because I'm a I'm a bad host. <laughs> um, yeah, so that'll do it for that. Um, our topic for today is fandom in media. Uh, I have written a couple questions down, um, which I think that we will probably end up touching on through the course of our discussion. But just to go over kind of where. I'm coming from in terms of assigning this theme. Um, well, you know what? Before we before we really get into it, I, I want to know from you guys, what personal experiences do you guys have uh, engaging in fandom? Like, is that something that you uh, consider yourself to have done before? Like, what's been your what's been your personal experience with fandom? Um. My personal experience with fandom, so it's interesting. I've I was sort of like teetering on the edge of fandom when the Lord of the Rings series came out. And then a few years after I think like the year after they all came out, I kind of dropped out of that and had not picked it up at all. And then many, many years went by and then Frozen happened. And so I've sort of been in that fandom since that movie came out. So what do you, how do you engage with it? Um, so I have a Tumblr that I hang out with a whole bunch of other fandom people. Um, I sometimes do fan art, but I've kind of been on hiatus on that just because I feel like my art has been absolutely terrible lately. Um, reblogging art and uh, fan fiction and all that other fun stuff. Um Kaylee, hearing you talk about that, I realize I actually don't engage in fandom in almost any way. Uh, I'm a fan of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I follow things on, like, on Twitter. On I, I'm an avid reader of AV Club and of Vox's, um, you know, like like Vulture, whatever, like pop culture blogs. Yeah. Um, and I have my shows that I enjoy. I watch shows or movies or whatever with friends um i can go very deep in the weeds and discussions with my brother when it comes to to comic book stuff or other nerd stuff so my fandom experiences are more one-on-one and interpersonal rather than engaging in a larger uh dumb as it were yeah Um, and you know the interesting thing about that is that's usually how i approach things like i'm very a surface level fan on a lot of things and but for some reason, this just hit really hard, and I was just like, oh, okay, we're going to go with it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a deep fan on a lot of things, but I don't engage in the dumb part of it. Uh, not D-U-M-B, but the D-O-M part. Um, <laughs> like, I, 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 may, like, I assigned a chapter from the Silmarillion for last homework. I'm a deep Tolkien fan, but yeah. I don't engage in the Tolkien fandom. Um, right. Well, and that brings up a good point that there is a, de- a difference between being a fan of something and being part of fandom. I think that uh, the biggest uh, distinction there is that fandom implies participation in a community of some kind. Yes. So it, it's not just I like this thing. It's also I engage with other fans and contribute in some way um, 
to this community or subculture, uh, which is not to deride people who choose not to engage that way. It's just a it's just for the for the sake of our discussion today, I think it's important to kind of lay out the difference between being a fan or being part of fandom. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a definite distinction. As for myself, I have sort of a uh, not a not a like dark dark history with a fandom, but when I was uh, in junior high, I had a fanfic a fanfiction.net account. Wrote some anime fanfiction. I was a lurker member of a bunch of different uh, RP anime-related message boards. Um, I didn't do a lot of posting because many of them were established or had been established for a long time, and it was hard to like be a new person on them. Mm-hmm. So I was a lurker on a lot of the precursors to Tumblr, I think. Um, as an adult, I still read fanfiction. Um, I have a Tumblr and I actually, I would say the biggest way that I engage in fa- in fandom now is as a Kickstarter patron, hmm. um, yeah. which I can't actually decide whether that really counts or not, but it does provide a way to engage with a creator, um, and gives you an active hand of support in, uh, in whatever it is that you are enjoying. So I think that that is. So but to, to clarify, I'm, I'm currently wearing a shirt that I got from Kickstarter, but it's for a brewery that's trying to open. I like that would not be part of fandom in our definition. I don't think like I'm not a engaging in the fandom of a local brewery. Um, that's I don't more, think that's so. more like community me... engagement. So let's, let's hone that in. So I recently helped fund the kickstarter for um a webcomic called check please which is huge gotten to be very hugely popular uh, the author just got signed with a publisher to publish the first two volumes on a larger scale um but doing that uh you know my uh pledging to that getting the updates um, and being tapped into the Tumblr community of that webcomic, which, which was where I heard about the launch of the Kickstarter, I think all of that collectively counts as engaging in fandom. And I, I think the Tumblr part there is sort of a crucial part of it as well. Because True, you're not, you're, you're not where... just throwing some money at them as a one-off and getting some email updates. You're also actively involved in the community of fans through that. Right. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about how social media might have changed the face of some of the homeworks that we uh, assigned. <laughs> um, so the things that I want to I want us to keep in mind and address tonight as we go through this is, first of all, does the homework that we assigned portray fandom in a generally positive or negative light? Um, That's going to be a good question for these homeworks. I'm, I'm, we yes, picked it a is. good range of <laughs> options. Uh, is there a difference in how media portrays predominantly male versus predominantly female fans? And why do we think that is and where do we think that comes from? Um, do we think that creators or not just creators? So I'm thinking of creators and then I'm also thinking of like the actors in Galaxy Quest who are not creators, but they're not fans but like do we think that creators and the the people who are sort of starring in uh the works that generate fandom have a responsibility to the fans outside of just providing the work for the fandom does that question make sense the fanners and the fannies (laughs) yeah do it okay I, i've got all right so do we think the objects of fandom have a responsibility Ooh. to their fans outside of simply providing the work last but not least i would like us to think about why we care about fandom why it's important why it's relevant and why it is worth talking about um with all of that said pete 
why don't you start us off by reminding us what your homework was? Uh, I assigned Galaxy Quest, 1999 movie starring Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, and Alan Rickman. It's a quasi-send-up of Star Trek and, and Star Trek fandom that then um, ends up taking an extraterrestrial spin. I rewatched this movie um, recently after Alan Rickman passed away last year, which was why it was in the forefront of my mind when uh, the idea of fandom came up. Um, anything beyond that, you should have done your homework, so go watch Galaxy Quest. It's a delightful <laughs> film. Still holds up pretty well. Yeah. It really does. Um, I'm sad that I know that Tim Allen now is a terrible, terrible person. Oh, he's awful, but, like, the, the rest of the cast is Tony Shalhoub, <laughs> Sam Rockwell. Like, it's a stacked cast, uh, aside from Tim Allen. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed, I enjoyed watching this movie again. Um, and it was interesting to watch, particularly paying attention to the fandom aspects of it. Uh, this one really, uh, well, first let's, let's just start with the first question. How do we feel, how do we think this movie treats fandom and fans? I liked how, I felt like the, the fans in this were supportive and supported. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a really good way to put it. Um, I'm, I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but it you can compare it very easily to Fanboys, which was a, a movie that came out like seven or eight years after Galaxy Quest, but I feel like the fans in Galaxy Quest were more human than the ones in Fanboys. Like, they were more, they were treated with dignity in a way. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, you have two types of fans in Galaxy Quest. You have the Sam Rockwell human mega nerd fans, and then you have the Mothazar alien mega nerd fans who don't quite grok the fact that it's fiction. Um, and... Can you participate in fandom without knowing you're participating in <laughs> fandom? <laughs> <laughs> you should maybe do all your research before abducting uh, people to aid your your needs um but oh they thought that they had i i, I guess you're right to, to their extent uh, like <laughs> their knowledge um but like you you could maybe read it that it's like the two sort of sides of fandom the like we've gone too deep into the rabbit hole side versus the like i'm just a super nerd who loves this stuff but also i know it's fake side um i, I honestly I, I think oh sorry i, I was gonna say I, I thought it was a generally very positive portrayal yeah, I go back and forth on how I feel about the treatment of specifically Justin Long's character. Mm -hmm. um, because, I mean, Tim Allen at the beginning of the movie is treating his fans like, I mean, he's he's terrible. He is very self-centered. He doesn't care super about them. He has no consideration for them. By the end of the movie, when he's presumably gone through some character growth and become a better person, um, then, although he's still using them... Yeah, but that's that's his character. Is a he's he's gone through some growth, but he's still, you know, he hasn't done a complete one eighty. Yeah, and I do think that the movie gets credit for um, validating Justin Long. Mm -hmm. Like he could have, he could have, and I think in the beginning does kind of get played off as a zealot fan who like takes this all too seriously and it's just a tv show blah blah, blah. but then the Living movie with his totally mom in the basement the whole the whole nerd archetype yep although he may actually be a teenager so i'm not i'm not totally willing to um assign that to him because if he's still in high school he's allowed <laughs> to still be living with his parents <laughs> very true um but the end of the movie does vindicate him uh when it's his like microscopic knowledge of the show that ends up saving the day. Again, I, I think it's it like especially for 1999, it's a very positive portrayal of fandom. Mm -hmm. And 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 keeping that idea of like this is, you know, almost 20 years ago this movie and culture was at a very different place then than it is now. Yeah. So, I don't know. Any more immediately? Any more immediate thoughts? feelings about galaxy quest um scorny weaver isn't given quite as much as she should but also it's sort of lampshaded so yeah you know yeah i was a little dis i was a little disappointed 
how at the end when they are making new episodes, her costume is still like bra half out. Right. Um, like all the, the these things, because I do think that she's supposed to be a a lampshaded version of the you know um, objectified doesn't really have anything to do except stand there and look pretty uh, female role in sci-fi, but then that doesn't really seem to change. Right. Even after she spends all movie complaining, like, this is the only thing I have to do, and so that was a little rough. Unfortunate, yeah. Especially because it's Sigourney friggin' Weaver. Very weird to see her with blonde hair. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, so, Kaylee, I'm going to ask you to go next so that we can use my homework as a palate cleanser. I think I like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So No, that's fine. Uh, so I um, assigned Fanboys, which is a 2009 film directed by Kyle Newman. Um, oh God, is it really from 2009? Is it feels like so long ago and just yesterday at the same time, which is it's a really weird period of time for me. Well, and and we should note that principal photography for this wrapped in 2007. Not that that's much like earlier, but it's, you know, two years earlier. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. They got some extra money to reshoot some extra scenes, but couldn't get everyone together for like a couple years or something. Wikipedia has told me a lot about this movie. Um, <laughs> why why did you why because of why course did you I'm, spend... I'm gonna read all the plaques all the time <laughs> okay um tell us tell us what fanboys is about kaylee so fanboys is about a group of friends that reconnect after several years of estrangement and by that i mean one guy decided to leave the group and go become a car used car salesman like you do i guess um, I don't actually know any used car salesmen. Oh, it's a family business, though. So. Oh, that's true. To help out with the family business, let's go with that. Um, and upon reconnecting, he learns that... I kind of want to say his, like, uh, grade school BFF forever is actually dying from cancer. Um, and they decide to go on this giant road trip to break into Skywalker Ranch so that they can try and see episode one before it airs in theaters because they don't think he's going to make it that long. Lots of hijinks. Uh, and... <laughs> oh, this movie. So I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep my complaints about this movie on topic because otherwise I could talk about it forever. Um, I, I cannot tell if this movie likes nerds or not. My initial reaction is that it does not. And I, I think it does because I think it's so deep down its own rabbit hole that it thinks that what it's doing is funny. Um, my take on it was that it was a movie that confused comedy with loud screaming and references to things. <laughs> um, because that's what this, that's where most of the comedy is sort of coming from. Like if, if you go so deep down the Gamergate rabbit hole where this is all like normal, then you're like, oh, it's a funny movie about people like me. But those people don't exist. At least not in 2017, to the same extent that they did in 2007's version of 1999. Which is really weird when you say it like that. I, this, it just, it felt so much like someone's idea of what fans look like, rather than it, it, it's any toxic sort of... fandom. Yeah. It's more than that, though, because it, it's it's the way that like the people that we're supposed to sympathize with are also terrible. Mm -hmm. And it's like the people writing those characters didn't really get what being a nerd or being passionate about something, the way that these guys are passionate about Star Trek, Wars. they didn't understand what that looked like. So it was like, well, this is what I think a nerd looks like. 
So that's yeah. Like I, when I think of a nerd, I think of the guy who lives in his mom's basement and the guy who has zero social skills and all of these things. So that must be what it is. My my only real pushback on that, which like I don't disagree, is that I thought that this movie traded in such broad stereotypes of everyone. Like Danny Trejo plays kind like a definitely racist Mexican possibly. I was gonna American say there's Indian. no like there's no kind yeah. of racist and, about and, that. Like, we only get to him because we're at some like weird racist biker bar thing with a lot of homophobia um Uh i had to walk out of the room at that point yeah like i fast forwarded through it because it's like don't care don't care don't care but like it's all just everything is a broad stereotype everything is broad and so the nerds are equally broad um regardless of whether it's positive or negative it's in in the creator's interpretation of it i left this movie being like good God, that's horrific fandom. Like that's that's toxic dark side fandom. Can, Mirror can universe you fandom. Can I tell you something that's gonna blow your mind? Uh sure. Do you know who one of the scriptwriters on this movie was? Well, I know Seth Rogen was in it, so I'm gonna guess Seth Rogen. Ernest Klein. Oh the uh um uh Who wrote Ready Player One. He huh. wrote uh, this movie. That kind of doesn't really surprise me. Uh, have you read Ready Player One? Yeah, it was too fond of itself. Okay, we can have d- that d- argument yeah, d- d- off d- air. Different discussion. But, um, <laughs> but mostly, I think that that movie treats being a fan and being in fandom much more sensitively than this movie did. Oh, no disagreement there. Holy crap, Kevin Spacey produced this movie. <laughs> I'm telling you, I have no idea whether or not this movie likes its <laughs> intended audience or not. Well, well and again, I'm uh, friggin' uh, Seth Rogen is in this movie. Seth Rogen is definitely a nerd, and especially in 2007. Seth Rogen is one of my favorite parts. Like, just Seth Rogen in that movie, just... Yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, and this got, like, this... this one reason why Principle of Photography wrapped in 2007, but it wasn't released until 2009, was because, like, they showed it to Kevin Smith, and he loved it and gave them money. They showed it to George Lucas, and he loved it and gave them money and gave them the rights to all the sound effects and everything. So, like, oh. deep nerd figures, I mean, it's it's ripe with um, uh, cameos of various people. Um, Including oh. Carrie Fisher? Carrie Fisher and, like, Billy Dee Williams! <laughs> it's... I almost cried at that point. I was like... Yeah. And this Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, everyone pour some out for Carrie Fisher. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, I just for you guys. I I I Kaylee, I'm really glad you chose it because it's a really important thing to talk about when we talk about fandom. Um as a guy, I was horrified but not like surprised at their portrayals of the ways like like the the comic book store sort of like absolute horrific harassment of the women um uh, uh Kristen Bell specifically um I've never experienced that personally mm. I'm sure it still happens but I feel like it hopefully happens less now than it did in 2007 or 1999 um hopefully fandom has gotten better uh I, I I would guess that when this movie both came out and was set it was a pretty horrific place to be a woman or person of color so my question Um, for you is have we moved past this movie because i remember when it came out i thought it was hilarious and but now as like being in a fandom and seeing a lot of the struggles that other people especially women and people of color go through to try and be in a fandom i feel like we've evolved if not a lot then at least a little bit towards something better in fandom which is why this movie doesn't hold up as well and i just wanted to know what you guys thought about that i think it is easier now to find alternatives to that kind of toxic fandom Mm. i'm not 
quite willing to say that we are completely beyond it. Well, Gamergate is a great. I, oh no. I was yeah. going to say I still I still on a daily basis, well not quite daily, but I still on a fairly regular basis experience too much gatekeeping for me to for me to really commit to saying that what this movie is portraying is a thing of the past. There was a scene of gatekeeping in this movie and I was tearing my hair out at it. There were several. There were like, yeah, like, so, yeah, there right. were... I'm, I'm thinking of the one of the um, guy who created that, uh, uh, Harry Knowles or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then we also get one at Skywalker Ranch with the oh, with, guards. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think that things like I think it is easier to find people who don't feel that way. I think the rise of um, the rise, the, or the, rather the increased prominence, because they've always been there, of female creators, of creators of color, of people who have traditionally been um, on the margin. Yeah, and also just the people for whom being involved in fandom, particularly predominantly male fandoms, um, people who have had had people for whom it has been harder, it is easier for them to find each other now and to connect with each other and just totally skip all of the like chauvinistic, uh, or not chauvinistic, misogynistic, um, racist, gatekeeping, disgusting, side of fandom i think it's easier to avoid that i wouldn't say that it's gone because instead of going into the only comic book store in town you can go on tumblr and order your comics off amazon and create your own community instead of having to deal with whatever you have locally yeah correct but i mean i've been so this is not true so much at geneva anymore mostly because we don't buy monthlies so i don't um have to go to a, a shop to do any of my purchasing but when i worked at forest park one of the things i did was i would go to the local comic book store to pick up our monthly subscriptions um and every single time i went the proprietor of that store treated me like I was a moron who had never been in a comic book store before. And every single and time was... you went was every single month? Yes. Like so, so like you were a repeat regular monthly customer? Yes. Great. Who he knew mm -hmm. because he knew I was from the library. Mm -hmm. So he knew which pull list to start getting. It's just, it's, <sighs> it's that kind of, it's that kind of... Mm. I'm struggling against the fact that this is a no swearing podcast. Um, it's that kind of I, I we got some good bleep, uh, sound effects. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of terrible treatment of somebody who is like there to give you money and support this thing that you're presumably fond of yourself. That it's just like really, yeah. So I wish we could say that fanboys was totally outdated. I think we're getting there. I think it's baby steps. I would agree with you. I do think, I do think just really fast that the idea of, I, I don't think that anymore, the fact that these guys are so deeply into star Wars specifically, I think we're past that. Cause I think at this point, everyone on earth is a star Wars fan. Yeah. So the idea that that would be something that they would get maligned and mistreated for that, idea is sort of like well not anymore <laughs> and 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 ditto the idea that there would even be fights between the star trekkies and the star warsies because that was kind of outdated even when we were in high school back in the the aughts like that was going on the waning side and now it's basically everyone loves all nerd stuff all the time marvel is making all the money or Dis I should say Disney, which owns everything, is just which printing, printing money because they're doing all right. Uh, speaking of Disney, it is D23 this weekend. I don't know what that is. It's their big conference in, I think it's in California this year. Would we call this Disney oh. fandom? 
Probably yes. All right. There are Those two, like live action animated movie announcements, park updates, so much merchandise that I can't look at the internet right now. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, Martha, you know what Disney doesn't own yet? What don't they yeah, own, Pete? Girl. Harry Potter. That's true. So, speaking of Harry Potter, or, you know, <laughs> Harry Potter inspired, um, my homework for you guys this week was, come on, Goodreads, load faster. Um, when were you published? 13. Yes, the 2013 novel Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell. Uh, Fangirl is the story of a newly minted high school freshman who has been deeply involved in the Simon Snow fandom. Uh, as Pete so obliquely referenced, Simon Snow is a Harry Potter analog. Um, and she uh, deal has to deal... The book is about her dealing with being a freshman in college and also the impending end of this uh, book series, which is fast approaching while she is also trying to finish her epically long... Uh, Simon Snow fan fiction, which has garnered thousands of readers and made her a little bit of a uh, fandom phenomenon. Uh, it is, I, I think it is safe to say that fangirl treats fandom positively. I, I would say even more than positively, it does a phenomenal job at showing people you don't expect to be in fandom. Um, there, there are two sort of key things I'm thinking of here. One is the main character's twin sister, who is going through her own crises, but is definitely portrayed as the popular, outgoing one, who is equally deeply involved in the fandom. And also a random scene where the main character runs into, like, a random person who never shows up again in the library, who is, like, wearing a shirt, or, like, likes her shirt about her own fanfic, and, like, is talking about it, and she's, like wearing her Big Ten school sweater and, like, looks like a football person, but, like, is deeply into the fandom, too. So it's not just positive in its portrayal, but it's sort of almost universal, or, or, or trying to universalize or normalize its portrayal. I do think it's interesting that all of the Simon Snow fans that we meet in the book are women. Um, of the fanfic reading variety. Because there are lots of... The of the book reading variety, I would even specify. And that's because there are only like three male characters and one of them literally doesn't read. Yeah, but... And another of them I mean, is their dad. Well, and he's never shown to be a Simon Snow fan. He watches the movies with them. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I think you're, I think you're right. I think it, I think you're right. I think the book does a lot of work to show that like, this thing that Kath is the name of the um, main character. Um, she think she almost thinks of it as something weird that she does. Like she gets very defensive, like, Oh, people won't understand or like, you know, this is what makes me weird. And then the author kind of goes out, the author of the of fangirl kind of goes out of her way to show that like, no, even rando cheerleader is like deeply invested not only in Simon Snow, but in fact in the fandom related activities that you are engaged in as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it's almost like the, it's almost like Kath wants fandom to be this like niche weird thing um, as maybe an excuse for her own awkwardness. She does kind of struggle a bit at how successful she has become in the fandom. Yeah. The author is not letting her get away with that though. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that the big reason that they only show women as being fans is because this book has the delightful problem of having the inverse Bechdel test uh, issue, um, which is a good problem to have, but also just means that you don't have any dude characters other than the main two being like, yes, we also consume this media. Yeah. Okay, so you you don't necessarily think that um, Roel is making a commentary on... Um... I, I was curious about whether or not you thought that there was anything to the idea that Roel might consider participation in fandom to be a predominantly female um, activity. I, 
based entirely on personal experiences, I feel like participation in fanficdom specifically tends to skew female. Um, but I think she was more just sort of writing characters that she was interested in writing. I didn't... Her, her Simon Snow character was so clearly a Harry Potter analog, and Harry Potter is such sort of a universal character that I kind of universalized him. Um, the the fanficdom definitely, like, seemed to skew more female, but also her book skewed more female character, so it didn't necessarily feel like she was commenting on it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, bouncing off of that, in my very limited fandom experience, I've noticed that there's a predominantly female swing to things as well the only people i know who consume or create fanfic are women um so anecdote is not data but also yeah i know i know a guy or two who writes fan fiction but i wouldn't necessarily consider it for the fandom i would more consider it as a joke but it's he's still writing so i would still count that mm-hmm I mean, e even joking fanfic is still fanfic, so, like, that explodes my data point. Anecdote point. Um, I had a question that I... Oh, so I want to ask you guys about the scene with Kath's uh, fiction writing professor. So, Kath is taking a fiction writing class, a creative writing class, and she turns in a short story that is a piece of fanfiction. So... It's using characters in the. It's using two of the Simon Snow characters, um, in her own piece of writing, and her professor gives her an F on it because she says that it's plagiarism, which is sort of a common topic of discussion in regards to fan works. And I was wondering if you guys had any opinions on that. I do, but they are very convoluted and complicated. I have strong and possibly straightforward opinions, but not single-sentence opinions. So I guess, Kaylee, you want to flip a coin for who goes first? You can go. Well, actually... <laughs> I will start. <laughs> <laughs> so while I don't consider fan fiction or fan works themselves to be inherently plagiarized, I do think that it was ethically wrong for Kath to submit fanfiction for a grade. That feels a little similar to me as submitting fanfiction for a profit. Um, in a different way. But she's... And I, I say this as a consumer and former creator of fanfiction. She is in a class called... She is in a creative writing class. I think that it was ethically murky of her to submit work for a grade that was not inherently her own. I'm going to agree 100% and push even harder that it's not simply ethically murky, but it circumvents the entire purpose of the class, which is to teach you to be a better fiction writer. Um, I think that, you know, you're paying money to a Big Ten school to take a class to teach you how to write fiction, you should be pushing all of those fiction writing muscles as hard as you can. And there are ongoing discussions about, like, later in the book, like, she's comfortable writing the fan fiction, and her teacher kind of pushes her, being like, okay, you're comfortable, but, like, you should be falling down the hill, conjuring up branches to grab as you, like, as they scramble by or whatever, some metaphor like that. Um... I think that her professor was totally in the right to, like, you know, keelhaul her on it, give her an F on it, but also did the right thing of not, like, hauling her in front of a plagiarism committee, because it's not plagiarism, it's just not what a fiction writing class is about. For sure, and I, th I think that later on in the book, and I know that this doesn't line up exactly with the question that I asked you guys, but it seemed like a good place to, to lead into it. But later on in the book, I do think that we see that all of the effort that Kath puts in 
does end up making her a better writer of her own original works. Because if you guys notice the little postscript at the end, she does win uh, a literary prize for Mm -hmm. an original piece of work that she probably would not have considered she was capable of writing at the beginning of the year. And not just capable, but interested in writing. Um, You know, her, her professor pushed her to write something that wasn't fan fiction, and that was a good move. Yeah, but on the more generally on the topic of plagiarism, I I have very conflicting feelings about selling particularly artwork, like fan art. Um, Because on the one hand, I don't think that people should profit off of IP that is not theirs. On the other hand, I own more than two T-Fury t-shirts. So (laughs) I'm pretty sure that makes me a hypocrite. (laughs) (laughs) America's copyright infrastructure is nonsense anyway, so... Um, well, but it's the same... I mean, it's the same thing as fan fiction. Somebody yeah, no. making fan art of something. So, like, why should I not be okay with fan with the idea of trying to, to market or to profit off of fan fiction, but be totally comfortable and complicit in participating in it when it's fan art? Hmm... Yeah. I, I could talk a while on this one, but Kaylee, I know we sort of circumvented your thoughts on it, so I want to circle back around to you. <laughs> um, and AKA not actually answer Martha's question, which would lead down a deeper rabbit <laughs> hole than I think we want to go down. Or I could dive down that rabbit hole. You should dive down that rabbit hole, because I have no idea how to put what I'm thinking or how I'm feeling into proper words that isn't going to like just offend everybody. Oh no, do try that one. I was going to say, I don't think you have to worry about offending any of us. Well, not like even offending. Um, so I like to play devil's advocate a lot. And I think what Martha mentioned in terms of like, why can I go to a convention and buy, you know, a fan art poster like a Star Wars fan art poster, but I can't go to a convention and buy fan fiction is interesting to me. Um, I I do think that it was ethically questionable for her to submit fan art or fan fiction as um, a homework assignment just because I, I mean, I went to school for art and I don't think I ever, it ever crossed my mind to ever submit fan art as a finished piece. No, that's a lie. I, I did. curses i was about to ask uh, what your thoughts on that would be but well to be fair it was um a ceramics piece that i had done that was a relief of uh batman comic cover that i never actually got to see the finished version of because something blew up in the kiln and destroyed it oh probably batman (laughs) yeah probably batman um so yeah in that in that aspect, I think I've always, I've always been really, not self-conscious, but I guess self-conscious about getting in trouble for copyright reasons, which is why I've always done everything that I've done for my own, like, pleasure or for, like, for free, basically. Um, just because I've always been super worried about crossing that line. Um and so I guess in a way I'm kind of glad that she did get in trouble for that because it kind of reiterated my justice meter of being like, yeah, you, you, you probably shouldn't do that because those aren't your characters. But what's to say that you can't create characters that are just like them but named differently? You know, would anybody catch that? And there's just a lot of gray area going on. <sighs> And she mentions that in the book. She's like, maybe I could turn in some fanfic, but just do a find replace on the character names. Um, and I'm glad she didn't, because that's called Fifty Shades of Grey. I was just going to make a Fifty Shades of Grey crack. Oh. You guys have seen, have you guys seen The Office? Intermittently. Most of it? There's an episode where Michael writes basically fan fiction that's like a spy movie called Threat Level Midnight. And one of the characters is based off of Dwight. And his find replace didn't work properly because he misspelled Dwight in one instance. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like, well, who's, du- who's Dwight? And then it dawns on them all that this is Dwight. So 
while we're still on this topic real quick, um, so what value do we think fan, like, how do we think that fan work, whether it's fan art or um, fan fiction, how do we think that those contribute and what value do we, do we think that they have to fandom communities? Um, and while we're talking about that, I do want us to think about why, why we care about fandom. Like, why is this a topic uh, worthy of discussion? What kind of relevance do, does it have? You know, when we kind of mentioned before how at this point, everyone is a nerd about something. So, thinking about that like what value then does is there in subdividing our our pop culture sub communities uh into fandoms because like even if they're not at, at war with each other anymore uh the star trek and star wars fandoms are still going strong um when i i got a buddy who doesn't like star wars because he grew up on star trek he he's not at war with star wars but he's like it's not my thing i'm a trekkie and and so like that identification is still out there it's just not as vitriolic as it might have used to be i was gonna say no one is running over captain kirk's <laughs> statue in the middle of nowhere precisely, Iowa. precisely you don't know what i do on weekends oh <laughs> 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 um one one thought and this is the cop-out answer to why we care about fandom, is that, like, literally millions of people across the globe are involved in it. And so we need to be interested in it purely because it is of a critical enough mass that if you're somebody who works with teens or youth in any capacity... Hi! Yeah, yeah, also hello. Uh, it, it will be something that, that will likely cross your board at some point, also, it's a globalizing force in a way. Um, fan art, fan fic, whatever, is... It, there was a, a bit in Fangirl where she's like, I'm strangely popular in... It was either Japan or South Korea. Um, and, and so there's that, you know, internationalism aspect as well, which I think is something that should be fostered and should be, um, you know, viewed as a positive aspect of it. This is more... the. The way the internet has changed fandom, like, it now is global, um, it is so much bigger, people from, uh, you know, the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, and London, and Shanghai, and wherever, can all engage in, in the same thing, and that, that has a very positive uh, outcome, I think. Um, one of the things that I greatly enjoy about fandom as a whole, across so many different iterations of it is the fact that it takes a universe that already exists and expands on it and like triple and quadruple just so much content is created and it's it's kind of amazing because like you can sit down and watch a movie pretty much any movie nowadays and go online and find that there is some form of a fandom out there for it and, you know, people are writing fix, people are drawing art for it. And I think that that alone is just this super amazing, amazing thing. And hell, heck, it doesn't even have to be a movie. It could be a podcast. I've seen so much Adventure Zone cross my dash. <laughs> and it's just, it's this amazing way to get into things that you normally wouldn't get into. You know, someone draws a really cool picture and you're like, what is that from? So you go and check it out. Now you're in it too. And it's just, I feel like it's a very unifying thing where you can yeah there is also a delightful frisson uh when you can have a couple fandoms sort of meet what i'm thinking of specifically is maybe it was last year or two years ago or something some person who drew in a very um calvin and hobbes style of artwork did a bunch of uh, Force Awakens cartoons like it was Calvin and Hobbes so you have like Kylo Ren is Calvin and you know Darth Vader is Hobbes and then like Han and Leia are, are his parents and it was just delightful to look at that because it's like oh it's Calvin and Hobbes but it's also Star Wars um, yeah. and, and that frisson of two great tastes that taste great together could only be done in a fandom setting um, you know b because it's all non-profit sort of sidestepping the copyright issue a little bit you can get your calvin and Hobbes and your star wars mixed together 
in a way that would be impossible in a um, commercial way. So it, yeah. it, it does a good job at, um, you know, sort of subverting the horrific uh, copyright laws that we have right now. I also think that for all of its flaws, I do think that fanboys um, and also Galaxy Quest, which has no flaws. That's not a lie. It has some, but <laughs> not for the purposes of this discussion. Um, I think those two films do a really good job at showing the showing exactly what you were talking about, Kaylee. This um, this idea of a unifying force. Because at the end of the day, and this is one of the things that I got very frustrated with fanboys about, because I really like the central concept of that movie. And that's that at the end of the day, it is a group of friends engaging in something to make the life or what's left of the life of one of their other very good friends better. Mm-hmm. So it is an outlet to, it is an outlet they are using to support him in this terrible you know, unimaginable situation where he knows he's going to die. And then surrounding it is all of this just trash, but it it shows the, the power of a a shared interest and something that you're that passionate about the power of a, well, the power of a shared passion really um, can really, you know, make a difference in somebody's life. Um, And even if it's not really fandom as we think about it in a traditional way, uh, Malthazar and the other aliens in Galaxy Quest, it's the power of their devotion to um, the Galaxy Quest crew that eventually enables them to at least save themselves, uh, you know, when facing off against this horrible, horrible force. Like, it gives them strength that they would not have had otherwise. And I think that that's kind of beautiful. Uh, so that's going to do it for this episode. Um, Pete, what are we talking about in two weeks? On our next episode, we'll be talking about leaders and leadership. Uh, my homework is going to be Superman Red Sun, a graphic novel uh, written by Mark Millar, um, whom I have a serious love-hate relationship with, but Superman Red Sun is pretty delightful. Uh, it is also available if any of our listeners out there are, um, if their public library has a Hoopla account. This comic, I know for a fact, is available digitally on Hoopla. Ooh, neat. Yes. Kaylee, what is our homework assignment for um, you for next time? Sorry, mine will be the uh, a Firefly episode. Woohoo! Um, yay! Season one, episode nine. I'm actually surprised we haven't been able to bring this series in earlier. Um, but the the title of the episode is called Ariel. Right, and I am assigning the. 1971 children's novel by Robert C. O'Brien, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. That's N-I-M-H for anyone who has not experienced this delightful read yet. It's pretty delightful. It has also been made into a film. I am imploring you to read the novel for the purposes of this episode. It is not very long. I imagine most of you will finish in an afternoon. And it is just lovely. Um... I would like to thank uh, my sister Lizzie for the inspiration for this episode. It was during a conversation with her that I conceived and sort of honed this idea. So the, uh, the credit for this episode goes entirely to her. Um, you can find our show on the internet at homeworkpodcast.com. We are also on Twitter at dydyhpodcast. Uh, We also have a Facebook page. Uh, You can download our episodes on SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, basically wherever you would expect to find podcasts, you can find us. Uh, You can also email at us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Any questions, comments, discussion topics that you send to us, any iTunes ratings that you leave for us, side note, please rate us on iTunes. Uh, We will read aloud on air. 
So be sure to share your ideas with us. Rating and reviewing us on iTunes is how other people can find out about us, so definitely please do that if you have not done so yet. Yeah, do us a solid. Let other people join in the discussion. Uh, you can find me on the internet. I am uh, on Twitter and Instagram at MagicalMartha. Uh, Pete, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pico3000, where I'm talking about politics and pop culture. And Kaylee, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Instagram at TrickyLemon. Okay. Uh, as always, our episodes are edited and produced by Pete. Thank you, Pete. Wicka, wicka. Um, and unless anybody has any final thoughts, comments, or concerns, class is dismissed, and we will see you in two weeks.